Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Are we ready to receive today? Okay, good. My name is Josh. I'm the family pastor here. And we've been in a series on fullness the last couple of weeks. And uh, Pastor Brian has graciously allowed me to come and present a different message to you today. We're going to divert a little bit from fullness. And we're going to jump into something else today. We started this thing called Sunday School with our young adults, okay? Some of you may have never heard of this. It is pre-church, pre-gaming church before church, okay? You show up, you go to church, and then you come downstairs and you go to church, right? And our young adults have just started this for the summer, and we've been in this book of Romans, okay? And um, I felt like God was just highlighting something this last week to me that I wanted more than 10 or 15 minutes to expound upon. And so we get to do that today, and we're going to be jumping into Romans chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles with you, electronic or physical Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV today. I feel like I need to slow down. Anybody like, am I... Am I, anybody's like starting to skip my words? Am I talking too fast? All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals and creeping things. Real uplifting, exciting verse today. Are you feeling good already? Are you feeling the good feelings inside? Yeah? No, it's okay. We're going to get there today, guys. And this starts out a little bit maybe gloomy in this text, but I think we're going to end in a place of praise, end in a place that lifts and encourages your faith, lifts and encourages your soul today. Okay? Because my... What I feel strongly that we want to establish today is hearts of thanksgiving and honor of God. We're going to start with looking at the reverse of that. What it looks like when we don't honor God with our heart, when we don't honor God with thanks, and instead what happens out of that. But we're going to end with establishing honor and thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen? All right. This is the interactive part of the sermon, okay? I'm a youth pastor, so I usually like to put people on spot or make them do things, pull them up, throw eggs at them, make them eat raw eggs, different things like that, okay? So this is the interactive spot, okay, in our service that we get to do. So I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to give you two options, and then you guys are going to figure out the two answers, which one I chose, okay? So the other day, me and Nora and Amy were at the dinner table, and we're eating dinner. Nora's my daughter. She's almost two. Our second one's almost here, um, but right now we just have the one, okay? And so we're all at dinner, and we're eating, and Amy made this really great kind of Asian, burrito-esque type of food, okay? A bunch of chopped vegetables, sticky Asian sauces, hot spices, protein. It's all packed in this bowl, chopped up real nice and everything. We do the prayer. We get all the dishes, all the food served up, and we're just starting to get into the meal. When all of a sudden, okay, and we look up, and Norris Foods, Landed on the floor and just splattered everywhere. I mean, sticky sauce everywhere. Vegetables are just rolling into all the hard corners to get. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just everywhere, okay? And so two options. Two options of response. Option one, I spanked that little girl, okay? 
Option one, I discipline that little girl, okay? Option two, I comfort her. She's my daddy's little girl, okay? I comfort her, okay? So right now, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Just turn around to like two or three people around you. What would make me react with option one of discipline or option two of comfort? Ready, set, go. Two or three people right around you. Go ahead. I told you this was the interactive part of the service. Come on. I'm giving you time to get out that talk. Come on. Okay. Any good thoughts? Why would I discipline Nora? What's that? If she did it on purpose. Okay. Why would I comfort her? If it was an accident. Yeah, she's learning maybe. How many people said maybe you're in a bad mood and you disciplined her? No, I'm a great father, right? I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, you guys pretty much got right on to it. Did she mean to do it? Okay. Was it an expression of her appreciation for the food? She said, oh, this is terrible. Threw it on the floor. Or did she inherit the when gene of clumsiness? And just in her vigor to get the food in her mouth as quickly as she could, she knocked it on the ground. Okay. Which was it? Which was it? And just to clear Nora's name, it was... She was just being clumsy, okay? And she, we, she comforted her. She's, my food's on the ground, right? But this is, brings us to our first point, is that our actions begin in our heart. Our actions begin in our heart. In ancient culture, they actually viewed, they said that the motivation comes out of the center of your heart, okay? And they actually viewed the stomach as your heart. And they would say that because that's where you feel all your emotions. If you're feeling real stressed at work, you feel just real tight. Or maybe you get real happy and you do your little belly laugh, right? And maybe you just feel the emotions in your stomach. And they said the center of your, the emotions come out of the center of your heart. And Proverbs 4 says it this way, keep your heart with all vigilance, uh, for from it flows the spring of life, right? Dallas Willard says this, What really gets us screwed up is when we, do prim- when we primarily focus on actions or behavior modification. It's exhausting. Dallas Willard said, I'm not interested in behavior modification, but heart change. And I'm going to read one more quote, and I cannot pronounce this guy's name. It looks something like Dijon Mustard and Tadashi, so we're just going to go with that. But he says this, okay? The truest measure of our growth is not our behavior, it's our grasp of grace, a grasp which involves coming to a deeper and deeper terms with the unconditional love of God. Our main problem in the Christian life is not that we don't try hard enough to be good, but that we haven't believed the gospel and received its finished reality into all parts of our life. Guilty people do not act better. Forgiven people do. C.S. Lewis adds, legalism says God will love us if we are good. With the, while the gospel tells us God will make us good because he loves us. 
This is where we're coming from today, guys. Sometimes it's easy to think that rejection of God, rebellion of God, immediately results in corrupt actions, actions far from God. But what did I just say at the very beginning, right? Our actions start in our hearts. Let's go back to our text. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so this is the progress of what happens. They knew God. And it wasn't talking about ignorance. This isn't a situation where pre-Christ, post-Christ, like I didn't, this is we know God. Yet we reject God. What springs from that is not actions, but distorted thinking, darkens hearts, self-importance when we're actually being foolish. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever experienced this? I'm just going to assume yes, because I have, okay? This is something where we start thinking that we know what's going on, or we start thinking that we know better than God, or we start thinking, God, why don't you move this way? Why don't you do this instead? Why don't you heal here, or um, give me this job, or provide for this, or fix this relationship, or just make this day go better, okay? This is where we start becoming self-inflated with importance, I don't know why exactly, but it's just been so, it's just stood out so clearly to me this week that when we reject God, it doesn't just immediately appear in our actions and what we're doing, it appears on the inside. And it's the slow clouding of clarity where our mind starts becoming distorted and what we knew was truth, later on it says this, we exchange it for a lie. And once where our hearts were open and pure, they start to become darkened. That quote from the Dijon Mustard guy, what he's saying there is that What saves us in that moment is God. It's the gospel. And that's what Romans is all about. Paul is writing this big letter. Romans is a 16-chapter thesis or just book that Paul wrote about the gospel. He just took every hard issue, every big thing, and he sent it to Rome because there's all these different factions of Christians. They had these Hebrew-born, Greek-speaking, Gentile, Roman-born, uh, what's your, uh, where, what level are you on the caste system? Like, all these things. And he's trying to unite them all under one umbrella, which is the gospel. He's trying to explain it. And the gospel is what saves us out of this. We probably all know Romans 3.23. How many, if you could just, like, I'm not going to ask you to say it, but, oh, there it is. If you could say it, you knew it right now, like Romans 3.23, right? Just show of hands. Come on. I know there's more of you than that. Yeah. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But what I hate when we quote often known scriptures is that we don't quote, like, the next parts or the parts that are after that or before that. So verse 24 says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. 
to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Meaning this, that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all rejected God. We've all been dishonorable and um, non-thankful in our lives. Yet he sent his son anyway to die for us. He sent his son anyway as a grace, as a gospel, as the good news to us in our times of distress, in times of wandering far from God. This leads us right into that idolatry corrupts and rots us from the inside. The root of corrupt actions is an idolatrous heart. Our actions begin in our heart, but corrupt actions come from an idolatrous heart. Let's go back to the text, yeah? Verse 23 says, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And the birth of the... Sorry, let's start again. And exchanged the glory of God in the immortal... Guys, we just need to take a break here. We're going to try this one more time. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Can we... Church, we've been together for a while now, okay? I'm just going to ask you guys, as honoring me as your pastor, and just would, can we just take a moment of honesty, okay? The last time, maybe you guys were out running, and you guys were out uh, doing a little jog or something, and you were going to the park. Maybe you were hiking or something, and you saw a little rabbit, and you saw a little squirrel, and you stopped, and all of a sudden, your heart was flooded, flooded with this deep desire to build a little shrine and to worship the creeping and crawling things right there. Okay, come on, just honestly, we've all been there, amen? I'm almost a dad of two, so these jokes are just starting to, they're just starting to come. I can't stop them. I'm like, I used to be funny. I don't know what happened. Back in the time that Paul was writing this, idolatry looked like this. They worship images of men and creeping things and birds and images around them, right? And we don't really deal with that right now. Idolatry doesn't have that shape probably for most of us. But here's the thing. Idolatry is anything that will take your first love of God and replace it with blank. Idolatry is anything that replaces your first love of God. And often for us, it's a way, something that we can manipulate and can control. And back in those times, they could literally make the images however they wanted them to look. They could pick them up. They could pocket them. They could go take them with them when they traveled, build a shrine, make it look this way, make it out of this material. Now, it looks a little different. Maybe it's in the way we eat when we go home. Maybe it's in the way we exercise or don't exercise. I had a friend that was an athlete in college, and he was at the point where he could not go a day without exercising. He literally got to the point where we all went away home for break. He was there because he lived too far away. And they closed down the campus, right? And because he had to exercise, he had to lift so bad, he broke into the gym so he could get his two to three hour workout in, okay? You're saying, wow, that's crazy. But we do the same thing, right? For a lot of pastors I know, they make it caffeine, okay? They replace the... the, 
smoking and drinking with just cups of coffee, and it's three, two, three pots of coffee a day, right? For a lot of us, maybe it's in the way we do our entertainment. And this is the weird thing to me, and some of us, it's Christian celebrity. I, I love Craig Rochelle. I love Stephen Furtick. I love mega pastors. I think their teaching is amazing. And I'm not getting on mega churches right now. What I'm getting on is that we can t- easily take people that we see living a very um, public life and put them on a pedestal. Someday I, uh, I want to follow this guy's teachings, or I want to follow this girl's teachings, or I'm going to be this person's follower. Paul addressed this in some, somewhere in the, his words. He said, I'm, you say you're a follower of um, Apollos. You say you're a follower of me. I'm glad I didn't baptize a lot of you. I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? And so that's the point we're getting to, is that what has replaced our hearts, our first love for God? Let's just review real quick. Our actions begin in our hearts. Corrupt actions come from idolatrous hearts. We're going to go back to our text and read it one more time. I want to look at the opposite now, though. I want to switch from all these negative things where why is all this happening to begin in the first place, right? Why is this all happening to begin in the first place? Why is this thinking becoming clouded? Why is our hearts becoming dark? Why are um, we lifting ourselves up with self-importance and believing that we're wise when we're actually foolish? Why is all this happening? Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And that's why I told you the very beginning of this message is that I wanted to land on this point. It's establishing again and encouraging and motivating us as a congregation to establish honor and thanks in our hearts. Sometimes I make the Bible harder than it needs to be. Sometimes I make God harder than he needs to be. And it's this simple. Honor God and thank him. Honor God and thank him. How would Romans read if it said, they knew God and they honored God and they thanked him? How would the rest of that read instead of all this this darkening of hearts, this clouding of thoughts? And so I want to break this into this real quick. What is honor and what is thanksgiving? And so honor is this. I'm going to read this off a Christian blog. It says, Honor originates in our hearts, refers to the value we personally place on something or someone. We are commanded to honor people because of their position, not their performance. And so honor of God is simply honoring God, putting him first for nothing else that he is God. He holds the position of God in our lives. And because of that, he deserves our honor. It's not even getting to the point that he's the redeemer or um, our savior or our Lord or the one that provides or the one that protects. It's not even getting to any of that. That's all coming underneath the umbrella of thanksgiving. Honor is simply just because of his position as honor or as God. 
It's much like the same as you would honor a judge. When he walks into the room, you stand because of his position. You may not know much about him, but you stand because of his position. If the president came in the room, I would shake his hand because of his position. Maybe not because of what he believes or how he leads, but because of his position. I would respect, I would respect Pastor Brian. If I disagreed with something with Pastor Brian, I would respect and honor him because of his position as head pastor and lead pastor and being my pastor because of his position. I, parents, you're going to like this too. How many parents would say we ever got it 100% right? No hands up. Mine hands down too. Are you thankful that God said in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, not just obey, right? If it was obey, we could just blame them for all the things they've done wrong. But it says honor them as your father and mother because of their position over you as their, your father and your mother, we're called to honor God simply because of his position over us. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says, These people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. The easy slope to slide into if we are not honoring God is that we try to overcompensate with our actions. That we try to read X amount of scripture, pray X amount of hours, Put in enough service hours. Be this nice person. Our sacrifices are empty because our hearts are empty. And this is a weird thing, guys. And this is a hard one to understand. Our actions do not build honor. Our actions do not necessarily honor God. But our actions tells us if our hearts honor God. Let me put it this way. There's plentiful ways that we honor God in the Bible. Giving tithe, being sexually pure, um, giving to the poor, feeding the, uh, taking care of the sick, taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans. There's all these ways. Isaiah 58, we're not going to read it now, but read the whole chapter of Isaiah 58. It's basically this huge way of just um, honoring God. All those things that are void if we're doing them out of an unhonoring heart to God. Out of a heart that honors God, you do all those things. And they mean something. It's an expression of honor. It's an expression of love to God. And the second thing that we're told to do in Romans of thanksgiving builds into this heart of honor. This is where our actions can kind of come into place. Honor is about position not about what they're doing, yeah? So thanksgiving, though, builds our heart of honor. We're going to stay with Paul for this example as well. Philippians 4.13 says what? One more time. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do... All things through Christ who strengthens me. All together, church, let's read this together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the thing. I just was kind of blew my mind when I read this verse. Because I usually, probably like maybe many of us, I would use this verse like maybe I'm running. I've gotten, maybe I'm trying like second, two, three, 
that last mile, I'm like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Or I'm on a diet, I'm like, there's that beautiful piece of cake. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, you know, that's not really what's going on here, okay? When Paul's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is actually a section of contentment. And Paul's in jail and he's writing to them and he's saying this. We're going to back up to verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, a, in, every, in, ev- in any and every situation, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To me, when I read these verses, it blew up and it made me, uh, verse 13 just became so much more powerful to me. When he's starving, he can be content, and he can do everything through Christ. When he has much and he has excess, he can be content, and he can do all things through Christ. And this, to me, is the foundation of thanksgiving. I can be content, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That takes practice, and it's not necessarily super easy. But it takes this constant walk of practicing to put God first and to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even though it's looking really bad. Even though the situation looks really dire. Even though everything is telling me that it's not going to be okay. I can be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by putting that heart of thanksgiving, by giving God our contentment, by giving him our trust, because that's really what it is. We're giving God our trust. That builds a foundation on which honor is built. I like how John Eldridge says this, as long as our thankfulness is tied to things we can lose, we are vulnerable. As long as we tie things to our security in our job, our security in our house, our security in our relationship, our security in whatever, our security in our position or how people think of us or whatever it is for you. As long as we tie contentment to those things, we're at risk of losing thankfulness, losing contentment, losing honor for God, losing our trust for God. Because as soon as those things get taken away, we no longer trust God. We're no longer content. But Paul's saying, I have learned in jail to be content. I have learned starving to be content. I have learned broke to be content. I have learned when everybody's against me to be content. Because I know that God's the Redeemer. I know he's there. Bane can start coming forward. We're going to end with one story, the um, story of Naaman. Are we familiar with the story of Naaman? When I was thinking about this, I feel like this really wraps up really well where we're going today. The story of Naaman is this decorated army captain, and I believe is a Syria. And he's this decorated army captain. He's leading mighty forces and he just controls and he goes and he has great favor with the king and he just because of all his mighty conquests. But there's one thing wrong with Naaman is that he has leprosy. And at the time, this was seen as a direct curse from the gods that you or your family or you did something in your past life to curse you with leprosy because there was no cure for leprosy. 
And so this man, even though he's a great warrior, great king, was a leper. And in one of, in a passing comment, one of his slave girls from Israel said, I wish my master would go to Israel. I wish he would just talk to the prophet Elijah. And this to me shows the desperation that Naaman was in because he heard that little passing comment and he acted on it. He went to his king and said, can you give me a letter of recommendation? Can you give me gold? Can you give me silver to take as an offering that this prophet in Israel would just come and heal me? So he gets all those things. He leaves with the king's blessing and he goes and he finds him. And Elijah sends his servant out. And the servant says, my master says, go and wash in the river seven times. Seven times. An easy thing. And Naaman gets mad about it. And he says, if he had asked, I thought he was going to come out and wave his hand, call upon God and do something miraculous. But instead he tells me to go and take a bath. We have clearer waters at home. I'm so, and he's just furious and storms away. But then his close friend and close advisor says, if this was something great, if he had told you something hard to do, you would go and conquer it. But this is something easy. Go do the easy thing. So Naaman listens, and he goes to the river, and he starts taking off his clothes, his armor, his sword. He sets it all down, and he goes in, he washes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. On the seventh time, he comes up, and his skin is brand spanking new. This is where I want to go with this story. This is where I want to go with this story, guys. Putting honor and thanksgiving in our heart is not necessarily a hard thing to do. But it is an uncomfortable thing to do. When God doesn't show up how we want him to show up, it's easier to blame God and say, I feel left out and I feel like God doesn't love me and I feel like everything I heard was a wash. It's harder to say, God, I am content in this situation. It's hard to come and to strip away all the things that are protecting us. Naaman was a leper. He had his clothes. He had his armor. He had his sword. He had his shield. Everything that hid what was inside What he was called to do was strip away everything that protected him, everything that showed his leprosy, that hid his leprosy, and come to God with it. This is where I'm landing today, is that I believe the same thing comes with thanksgiving and honor. I believe God calling us to pull aside whatever we are trying to hide. Because remember, a lack of honor and a lack of thanksgiving darkens our hearts. It hides things. And dark is when sin happens. And dark is when things that we don't want other people to know. It's when we leave this place and we're in the privacy of our own quarters that things happen that we wouldn't want to share with people. But God calls Naaman to strip away what's hiding it and allow something new to start. We're going to end with this one verse and then we're going to altar call. Going back to Isaiah 29. It says, the Lord said, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. This is where I'm going, guys. 
is that it is easy to slip down the slope and to all of a sudden, we don't even realize what happened, but all of a sudden, our hearts are hard. We don't trust God. We don't believe that he's actually going to come through. But this is where new things can start. God picks that up, and he grabs us, and he pulls us out of the water. God tells us to strip away everything that's hiding it. He says, even though you're coming with me with lips of honor, but your hearts aren't even there, this is how I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to do new wonders for you. I'm going to do wonder upon wonder for you. This is how God responds to us in our weakness. He says, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to um, curse you. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to do wonder upon wonder for you. I'm going to do something new for you that you haven't seen yet to restore your trust in me, to restore who I am to you, to restore my position as God over you. That's where we're landing today. And so the band's going to start singing in a second, and we're going to go back into worship to end service today. But this is where I'd like to just rest in your seat for a second. If you want to spread out, go to the back, come to the front. The altars are always open. Go wherever you want to go. Just seek God on this topic. Are your hearts clear? Are your hearts pure? Have we erected any idols that need to be torn down? Have we hidden anything that needs to be exposed? Are we waiting in contentment? Are we ready for God to just do something amazing, something new, wonder upon wonder? Do the easy thing. Don't search out the hard thing. God moves in our weakness, amen? So we're going to pray over the altar, and then Braden's going to lead us. So Father, right now, thank you, God, for your people. Lord, I believe it starts with me first, even, God. This, is, this message has been convicting and working in me this week, God, as I've been preparing it, God. All the times, God, that I've rejected, and even though I've seen you work, God, I question you the next second we get into a hard situation, God. I question you the next second I feel discontent, Father. Lord, strip from me right now, God, idols that I've built up. Strip from me, God, things I've been using to protect myself. Lord, I want to see new and wonder upon wonder upon in my life, God. I want to see new wonders upon wonders in this church, God. I want to see new wonders upon wonders in my family, Father. Teach me to do the easy things first, Father. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.